Thank you guys so much for leading us this morning. How many of you do not know these two gentlemen? So there's a few of you. So uh, this is Kevin Wall, Farside, and this is Jonathan Neufeldt. And some of you may know him as Jonna. Um, which do you prefer while we go here? It doesn't even matter. Got to use your it, mic. It doesn't matter, actually. There we go. There we matter. go. So um, that really helps a lot, you know, it doesn't matter. So we're going to call you Jonathan, just your official, good. your parents will probably, you know, appreciate uh, that. So, but we are going to this morning uh, go through um, the book, uh, chapter, uh, Exodus chapter 3. We're going to take some time in that um, chapter. So if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to throw it on the screen as well. But if you have your Bibles with you, that's where we're going to spend our time this morning. And as we have been doing the entire uh, series, what we're doing this morning is we're looking at uh, these normal, ordinary individuals. And today we're looking at Moses, and we're looking at these ordinary individuals who surrender themselves to, to God, and then God did this extraordinary, this extraordinary work through him. And so I think what happens to us sometimes when we, uh, when we look at these, um, these people, what we do is we look at them and we see what they accomplished. And so, you know, then I think sometimes for us it's like, oh man, I could never do those things. I could never be like that. I could never, I could never whatever it is that they did. But what we want to do today is we're going to actually look at the calling of Moses. And at the beginning, before he's done really anything extraordinary, at this moment in his life, he really is still, to some degree, quite a mess. And they're going to unpack that somewhat for us this morning. So if you're here and you listen, you know, if you know the story of Moses and right away your mind is going to the end of his life, you know, and, and the amazing things that he did, I want you to just kind of switch that off for a moment. And I want you to just begin this journey with us at the very beginning stages of his life. Because I think that for some of us, especially those of you that are younger, that's where you are starting off today. You're, you're starting off maybe at that place where you're wondering, what does God want me to do with my life? You're, you're probably wrestling with, should I go to university? Should I, get a, should I go just start to get a career? Should I, what should I do with my life? And some of you that are maybe a little bit older already, maybe you're wrestling with, is this what I'm supposed to do the rest of my life? And so here you have a guy, and we're, these guys are going to unpack this a little bit for us, but here you have a guy who's at the beginning of this amazing journey. And if you know the, the story of Moses, uh, you know that this guy has just an incredible, incredible journey uh, ahead of him. But it started at a very specific place, at a very kind of a somewhat abnormal place. But at first, it's a completely normal environment. It's at his workplace. It's where he's, you know, tending sheep. And, and so I don't want to get ahead of you guys. But uh, that's a little bit what we're, we're going to do today. And then we're going to look into um, chapter 3 and um, open up that uh, chapter to see what, what uh, is in store for us today. So you guys are ready to go? Ready, ready to go? Ready to go. Check, check. Check, check. All right. So that's the sign right there. So we're going to start with Kevin. And I think what's going to happen is you're going to hear a number of names. You're going to hear Moses, but you're also going to hear about Israelites. You're going to hear about Egyptians. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a little moment now and just kind of give you some of that information ahead of time so that later on when we're talking about these people, then you have a better understanding of, of what we're talking about. So Kevin, tell us a little bit about who Moses is and what is unique about this man's early life. Right. So before Moses has his long beard and his epic robe, and his mighty staff. Um, his, his life starts off in, in Egypt. Um, that's where he's born. He's born into a Hebrew family who are the Israelites. Um, um, he was born around the time where every baby boy uh, was commanded to be killed uh, by Pharaoh. 
and uh, where it's actually politically incorrect for him to be alive. <laughs> uh, but Moses, you know, he grows up wealthy as an Egyptian, and uh, he ends up killing an Egyptian, and then just runs away from it all. And basically, that's his early life in a nutshell. Um, there seems to be a theme in Moses' life um, that is hide to survive. Um, you know, thank goodness for his parents who uh, did everything they could to protect him as a baby, uh, but that meant to hide him in the river. Um, and thank God for Pharaoh's daughter who felt sorry for this baby and took him in as a son. Um, but that meant Moses abuses power when he's all grown up, sees his own people being mistreated by the Egyptians where, when no one's looking, kills an Egyptian, and then uh, buries him in the sand, and eventually Pharaoh finds out and is after him to kill him, and that's when he flees. Um, so, you know, really what caused Moses to you know, do such a horrific thing um, is, you know, when he's all grown up as an adult, he must have found out, you know, the Hebrews are actually his people. The slaves are his people. Mm -hmm. So when he goes in, on, on the production site where these people are working, um, he sees them how mistreated they really are. Um, and he just can't handle it. It must have gone, brought him sick to his stomach. And then obviously he makes the wrong choice and then kills one of these Egyptian who was abusing his, um, well, basically his family. And... Uh, and making the wrong decision, uh, Pharaoh's now after him to kill him, and so now he's on the run. He leaves his, leaves his hometown, and uh, it's kind of crazy where he went to was Midian, and that's about 10,000 kilometers from Egypt. So he really wanted to make sure uh, he was somewhere in the desert where nobody could find him again. Yeah. So yeah. he wanted to hide. Well done. And so that, that's a little glimpse, and uh, thanks, Kevin. There's a lot more about this man's life, and again, we would encourage you to read uh, this uh, for yourself, but there's... Uh, one of the names that obviously came up was Egypt. So uh, Jonathan is going to tell us a little bit about Egypt. You know, this is a major player in the story of Moses. If you, you know, even as you read later on in his life, one of the things that you'll often hear God do is, is say to Moses, remind the people that I am the God who rescued you out of Egypt. So Egypt is a major, major player. So um, Jonathan is going to tell us a little bit of who Egypt is, the Pharaoh, those sort of things. And so the floor is all yours. All right. So at this time, Egypt was filled with Israelites. Uh, the 12 tribes of Jacob had multiplied to the point that Pharaoh was worried. And in Exodus chapter 12, we actually read that the Egyptians, when they fled, there was like 600,000 people. And that's only including just men, or that's only including the men, not the women or children. So there would have like been thousands and thousands of these um, Israelite people there. Um, so it, Egypt was not a small place by no means. It wasn't a little village or a small town. Like, it was a huge place. And in Exodus chapter 12, one to not, or Exodus chapter 1, 9 to 11, Pharaoh explains. Look, he said to, the, to his people, the, the Israelites have, come be, have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave our country. So they put the slave masters over them to suppress them and force them into labor, or to force labor. Um, so Egypt was just a massive place, and Pharaoh was the, the leader of this place. He considered himself a god. He was, like, the most powerful, powerful person at this time, and if someone would have crossed him, he, would have, he could have killed him if he wanted to. Um, and the Israelites were becoming too big, and Pharaoh just decided that we have, to, we have to do something. So he tried numerous things to actually stop the Israelites from, from keep on multiplying, but um, his best option, or his best solution, he thought, was to have all the Hebrew boys that were born to throw them into the Nile and kill them. So again, I want you guys to understand like what Jonathan was saying. We're not talking here about some small, you know, um, you know unimportant uh, place. This was a very, very powerful nation. It was a very powerful people, powerful army. 
because this plays a factor. Because later on, when you look at the story, and it's like, oh, you know, God rescued the people out of Egypt. It wasn't like, oh, this tiny little community that God pulled some people out of. This was, this is a massive, massive work of God. And so we've heard now a little bit about uh, the uh, the Egyptians. Kevin's going to tell us a little bit about the Israelites. And there's going to be some overlap here as they talk, because that's just what happens. There's there's some overlap. So Kevin, tell us a little bit. Who are the uh, Israelites, and briefly outline their journey. How did they end up in Egypt? Like, because again, that's an important factor because there's a lot of views on it. We want to unpack all those or any of them, um, but uh, there are some views on that. So, outline a little bit for us the journey and how they got to Egypt. Sure. Like uh, Jonathan was saying, that the Israelites have grown into this massive group of people. So the Israelites, they're a group of people, uh, a nation, you could call them. Um, but it all started way back bef- uh, from one man, um, Abraham, as uh, Ike was talking about at the beginning of this series. Um, Abraham, God promised him that one day there'd be a nation coming out of him. And uh, so Abraham's son, there's Isaac, and then there's, there's his son, Jacob. And then Jacob has 12 sons who are the 12 tribes of, uh, of Israel. Um, I, I think it's actually interesting. Uh, what, what brings these people to Egypt is, uh, is a famine. And it seems like it's nature controlling them where they should go. But what's interesting, uh, Jacob's father, Isaac, um, there was a famine before this main famine. And then uh, Isaac was considering going to Egypt. You know, you know we, get, we don't have food here. We need to go to Egypt. But then God tells Isaac, no, don't go now um, because I want you to stay here. But when, uh, when, when Isaac is dead and then there's Jacob and his 12 sons, there's another famine. But uh, it just so happened that, you know, Joseph, you all know the story, Joseph is caught into slavery, and then he ends up in Egypt, but somehow he makes himself into the high place uh, underneath Pharaoh, and there's another famine, and then this time God lets them go to Egypt to, to provide for them. Um, but now it's all set up. Now there's uh, one of uh, Jacob's sons there to able to protect them. And it just so happens Pharaoh uh, is, you know, okay with this. You know, he tells Joseph, you know, I like you. I like your family. Bring them all over here. So it was the famine that really that brought this whole uh, family of Jacob into Egypt. And that's where they just multiplied mm-hmm. like rabbits. Yeah. <laughs> a lot. A lot. So, uh, well, that's like a whole nother talk. But... Um, We'll move on. So one of the things you see, though, then from the Israelites is this amazing journey. You see how God has his hand in this. And here's something, again, I want you to, be, to stay with us on, is sometimes I think, I've, you know, you look at the story now of Moses taking the, you know, leading the people out of Egypt, and it's almost like, oh, this is where the Israelites begin. Um, in some ways, this is where they found their identity again, because you have it already with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. You know, they, they were very much in tune with who God was. But now they're going to be enslaved for a long, long time. 400 years, 430 years. There's different, different numbers associated with the time that they are maybe in, in, in Egypt. And during this time, it appears that they've maybe kind of forgotten a little bit who God is or who they are as the people of Israel. Um, and so uh, we're going to look at that a little bit more later on. So, but again, I want you to understand when, as uh, um, Kevin was saying, they, there's this journey into Egypt. God seemed to have drawn them there. Uh, he puts Joseph in a unique place to be able to interpret dreams, which gets him into the you know, presence of the Pharaoh, and then he's able to interpret the Pharaoh's dream, which then gives him this unbelievable power, second only to Pharaoh. And now suddenly you have this Israelite who is a believer in God, um, a second most powerful person in, in all of Egypt. So God has his hand in this in a very unique way. So we're going to 
go into chapter 3 in a little bit, but before we do that, Jonathan's just going to really quickly now walk us through chapter 2. Uh, Kevin's touched on a little bit the birth, you know, hiding, hiding uh, Moses and those kind of things. But Jonathan's going to really quickly now walk us through chapter 2 because this really is the introduction uh, to the story of, of, uh, that we're about to look at. So if you have your Bibles, flip back one uh, chapter to chapter 2 and just kind of walk through it with Jonathan as he goes through it. All right, so Moses is born to his parents, Hebrew people, and at this time um, Egypt was ruled by Pharaoh. And his parents knew that, so they decided to hide him. They hid, hid Moses for three months. And like, that's, that's a hard task, hiding a baby for three months. They're screaming, and they're crying, all this stuff. So they hid it, Moses for three months until it was, they couldn't do it anymore. So they decided to send him down the Nile River, which is putting their baby in a basket and hmm. putting him on a river, basically, to be found. Um, and while he was floating down the river, uh, Pharaoh's daughter found him. Or Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's servant found him and brought it to his daughter. And his daughter ended up taking in Moses as her own son to give him a chance, and she felt sorry for him. Um, so this would have meant that Moses was brought up under Pharaoh and would have been treated like, like a prince and had like, everything he really wanted. He was, he was treated well, unlike his, his family would have been. And when Moses got older, like Kevin touched on, he was, he was watching some of the Egyptians uh, mistreat the Israelites and the Hebrew people, and he did not like that at all. And he ended up going to the point of, of murdering an, Egypt, an Egyptian man. Um, when Pharaoh heard about this, he immediately tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled. He fled to Midian, and in Midian he started his new life. He had a family, um, he started to flock, or have a flock of sheep there, and all this stuff. But then there were still the Israelites. The Israelites were still crying out to God, and they were still waiting for, for God to come. All right. So that leads us now to chapter 3. Okay, and this is where we, you know, we now know about the needs and the, and the bad things that are happening in Egypt. And now we go to chapter 3, where this is, for all, the first, for all we know, this is the first encounter that God has with Moses, or that Moses has with, with God. And so, you know, he's grown up. I'm sure he's heard about God. Um, I'm sure he wasn't a stranger to the name of, you know, God, the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But now he's about to have his first encounter. And I think all of us can identify with this in some ways. Uh, there's not a single person in this room who has not had some sort of a counter with God through the Holy Spirit. And so if you're sitting here going, well, I've never had like a burning bush, like we're going to read in a little bit. All of us have had some kind of an encounter with God. So turn with me to chapter 3, uh, and I'm going to read. It's going to be on the screen. Uh, we'll read a few verses, and then unpack it, and then, and then continue reading. So here it is, chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and, and he had led the flock to the side of the, uh, of the wilderness and came to Horad the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a, uh, within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. So again, you get a glimpse here that he doesn't really get right off the bat that this is something about, about God. So the, um, like I said, this is maybe Moses' first experience with God. Um, it happened in the most unexpected place. You would think that maybe it would happen in sort of synagogue or, or some place like that. Um, you know, not that you would have this worship service out in the middle of, the, uh, of this place. You know, usually we think of having an encounter with God at church or at a retreat. Well, here it seems like it happens to Moses on the job. So I want you guys to talk a little bit. What are some of the lessons that you can take away from this? How have you experienced God doing a work in your life in unexpected places? Sure. Um, 
I think the lesson here is uh, how God used uh, to get Moses' attention. I know, like a lot of people, they the, they're attracted to the burning bush, you know, and that's all we want to talk about. But uh, if I can unpack a little bit, you know, the significance of the burning bush, um, and or why even Moses was so attracted to this, because it says uh, Moses says, "I'll I'll go over and see this strange sight. Why does the bush not burn up? You know, really, why is it not being consumed by this fire?" Um, I think somehow Moses is able to relate to this significant sight. Um, that would be, you know, you know, the bush is in trouble, yet it's surviving, right? Um, you know, I've always uh, got myself into trouble, but it was so hard to survive, so I had to hide myself. And here is this bush in trouble, and uh, it's surviving, and yet it's in the light. It doesn't have to hide from itself. And I think somehow that, you know, lured Moses in. And so, you know, to experience God and, and you know, and, in worship or in any time in my life, I think it's God does speak in unexpected circumstances a lot of times, and, and especially when the situation feels like it's on fire. And, you know, you, you're, you're mad at God, you're confused, or you're sad, uh, upset, and, you know, you don't know really how to connect with God, so you talk to him, and you yell at him, but somehow deep inside of you, you know, you hear this voice, I'm with you. You know, you, know, you might be in trouble now, but yet you're surviving, and you got this light inside of you. Okay. So. Cool. Jonathan. I think the lesson that, like, I've learned from this and that we could all learn is, like, we can experience God in any line of work that we are in, and, like, any, anybody can if they believe in God. Um, it's the fact that, like, we have to focus on God when we're, when we're working or when we're doing something. If we don't have our focus on God, then, then what are we focusing on? We might miss those little opportunities that, that come our way, and it could be as simple as, like, a hello or um, just giving someone a handshake or helping someone with something small. Like, those little things... It might not be a, a burning bush or something that, that's so like in plain sight, but um, often we just miss those little opportunities that come our way because we're not focusing on God, and it's just about being obedient to what, what he calls us to do, to do, and that's to serve. Perfect. So let's keep reading. Um, verse 4. When the Lord saw that he, Moses, had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Um, so we've said this now already a few times. This seems to be the first encounter that God has with, uh, or that Moses has with God. And, and so when he realizes that this is the God that he has maybe heard about. This is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's, he's afraid. So what did you guys, what did you learn? What, what, are, what are you taking out of this little interaction that God has here with, with um, Moses? Well, I think the whole, the whole process of him taking off his sandals and acknowledging that it's holy ground is like a message from God saying that, that God is reverent, or God's reverence. Um, when Moses was told to take off his sandals and not come any closer, it, it was like a, a sacred thing like God is saying don't come any closer like he realizes the danger of, of being that close to God and that um, the presence of God is like a, a dangerous thing and so God's preparing him for that yeah like uh, you know taking off your sandals it you know some on, on the surface it sounds like it's a it's a dumb question or a, a request to do but uh, on on Moses's end it, it it seems like he's really quick obedient to do it you know it, he doesn't really ask questions you know why why not you know whatever the reason is he had to take off his sandals his attitude was, you know, okay, I'll do this. You know, I, I want to be in your presence. I want to come closer. So his attitude was aligned with that. And I think uh, for worship, a lot of times, you know, to get yourself into the attitude to worship, 
you've you got to overcome that. You've you got to be willing to step into his presence and then worship God. And I think a lot of times, you know, if, if, if we want to worship, but we just want to keep our sandals on, we want to keep it to ourselves, we don't want to be able to feel the ground, we want to, you know, feel God's presence, you know, sometimes I think it's just a matter of attitude. And if, I think if Moses would have had an attitude, he wouldn't have been able to, you know, hear from God. He would have said, no, I don't want to take off my sandals. You know, this is dirt. Um, but somehow his attitude led him closer to God. Yeah, and I so. think the interesting thing here is, you know, I, I would agree with these guys that God is clearly calling um, Moses to this place of worship. And what, what I find interesting is before God has asked Moses to do anything, you know, Egypt is, you know, obviously still in the story. The slavery is still happening. But before God asks these guys to do anything else, the first thing God basically says to them is, I want you to worship me. And I think sometimes we get these, you know, in reverse. We want to do all this stuff for God, and we want to change the world, and we want to impact our community. But one of the things, you know, if we can use the sandal thing, one of the things that we've maybe not done is remove our sandals, remove some of those things that are maybe keeping us from really being in the presence of God. And that seems to be the very first thing that God is concerned about. Hey, Moses, take off your sandals, experience me, revere me. You know, I'm, I'm God, I, you're just Moses, and I have something incredible that I want you, to, uh, want you to do and I want you to accomplish, but before you do any of that, I want you to worship me. So we're going to jump now to chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 7. Just keep reading here. The Lord said, now, now he's you know, introduced himself, and now you get the kind of the instructions. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the land of the Egyptians and bring them out of that land into a land and uh, into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, uh, Perizzites, uh, Hiveites, and Jebusites. I think we could just call them the Mennonites. And um, <laughs> continue on. But... Um, the ites. The ites clearly own this land at this moment. So, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Now, if we would stop there for a moment, you would almost hear Moses just give a sigh of relief. Like, oh, good. God is aware of the problem. God is aware of the need. And maybe even in some way you could... Moses at this moment could say, like, oh, good, now God's going to do something. But look at verse 10, because this is where it's a game changer for Moses. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of slavery. So God's telling the, uh, Moses here that he is aware of the things that are impacting the Israelites, and he's also outlining what he's planning on doing and how he's planning on rescuing them. So what lesson can you learn from this? Or what lesson do you guys take out of this um, section of verses um to make it a little bit personal i think the way god presents himself to moses is you know god first mentioned you know I, I see the people and then he says i hear the people and then he says i'm concerned about the people i'll come to the people and i'll bring the people out of of, of their misery and uh yeah like to, to make it personal for myself i think the way god presents himself to moses is how maybe we should uh uh present God when we pray. Um, and I think a lot of times we, that order of um, see, hear, concern, come and bring me out of it, we, we would pray, God, take me out of this. God, please come. I hope you're concerned and I think you hear me and please see me. And I think sometimes when we pray, if we would say, God, I know you see me. I know you hear me. I know you're concerned about me. 
and I know you'll come, and I know you'll take me out of this. Mm-hmm. And that right away, it, it, it um, what do I want to say? It tells who God is. You know, it's saying that, God, I know this is who you are. Instead of flipping that backwards and saying, God, take me out of this. So right away, we're, we're telling God what to do, and then we, you know, yeah. we and say... It, and it also aligns our focus, because right. now our focus is first on God, right. aware of what he's able to do rather than just the needs that we have. Right. Cool. Yeah. Um, I think we can learn that God is the same today as he was back then. Like God can hear what's going on. He is aware of what's going on and, and he's aware of it back then and still now. Um, he sees our misery. Um, he sees our concerns and our sufferings and everything else that's going on. And he will provide for us. We just have to be patient. Um, we just need to remember that God hasn't forgotten our struggles or our oppressions that are in our life. And maybe we're just not listening to what he actually is saying to us. Maybe we have to make the step that he's calling us to. And um, it's just about being obedient to what, what, he's, what he wants us to do and put him first before other things. Okay. Excellent. You guys did a great job. Do you want to add something yet? Sure, I can add something to it. I think God always seemed to be very concerned about his people, right? It's all about people. And then if you lose your focus on, on other people, I think you, uh, you're slowly stepping away from God's kingdom. I just went traveling recently, and there was a lot of tourists around, and I was, in my mind, I was hoping no one would ask me to take their picture, because I don't want to, you know, you know, just share a little love and take somebody else's picture. But what happened later on the day, somebody tapped on my shoulder and was like, hey, can I take a picture of you? And I'm like, oh, sure. And it just felt like, you know, I was so arrogant before where I, I didn't want to focus on other people. I just want to focus on my own experience. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, God always clearly tells himself throughout the whole Bible, I'm all about the people. And I think to do a little self, you know, uh, character check of yourself, do you have love for other people? Mm-hmm. You know, are you concerned about other people as God is concerned about the Israelites? Yeah. Here. So I think the question, you know, for us, that Kevin kind of leads us into is, are we, you know, is God showing us the needs of other people that we're just kind of putting blinders on? You know, because Moses obviously here is very, very much aware of the issue or the situation in Egypt, but you kind of get a sense that he never thought that he was part of the solution. So are we in a situation like that at your workplace, at your school, where maybe you're very, very much aware of a situation or, or someone's hurt or someone's pain, and you've just concluded that, well, God must know about this. It's not my problem. And maybe God is saying, I've revealed this to you. you I made you aware of this, not because I just want you to know about it, but because I actually want to use you to do something about it. So we're going to jump now a little bit quicker into the excuses that Moses, we're going to look at just two of them in this passage. Um, chapter 3, verse 11. This is the first excuse. Now, you've got to understand, God has said, I'm aware and I'm sending you. So look at, look at Moses, verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the people, uh, bring the Israelites out of Egypt? That's the first thing. You can almost name this whole series, that, this whole sermon that. Who am I? So this excuse sounds very, very familiar. Um, why do you guys think that Moses uses this excuse? And, you know, or, or does this answer that first? Why do you guys think he uses um, this? For me, I think Moses uses this excuse, like, who am I? Because he realizes maybe, like, who he was. He is, he's not an Egyptian like he, he thought he was. He's, he's in Hebrew. And so why would Pharaoh listen to a Hebrew who was a slave to tell him what to do to release those people? Why would God, why would God send him? Why would, he, or why would Pharaoh listen to someone as petty as, as Moses would? Yeah, and I also think um, you know, Moses is presenting himself, I'm not capable of doing this at all. You know, I, I just can't do this. But really, it, you know, to, to call that an excuse, I think in the, in the background, in his mind, he's saying, you know, I just don't really want to. Uh, and I think that's the, the main excuse. You know, you know, sure, you're, you're, you think you're not capable, but really you're just saying you don't want to. 
Yeah. And that seems to be the motive. And here. that definitely comes out in chapter four, right. where he just, I just don't want to, you know, but yeah. So at the very beginning, the first thing he does, but look at God's response to him, verse 12. And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign that you, uh, to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people of Egypt out, you will worship the God on this mountain. It's like God's just saying, not only are you going to bring them out, but I want you to look around. This place right here is a sign to you that you will come and worship here. Now, this sounds very familiar to what Jesus says to us in, in Matthew 28, verse, uh, verse 20, where he says, I promise, you know, that he promises to always be with us to the end of age. So here's a question. Why do you guys think that being aware of God's presence, as a Christian, being aware of God's presence with us always, why does that not remove the fear, the worry from our lives? You would think Christians would be the bravest individuals. You look at Moses here and you're like, oh, well, Moses, golly, God's going to be with you. Go. But yet we have that same promise from Jesus. So why do you guys think that we, as Christians, knowing that God is with us, why do we still have the fears, the worry? Or how do you guys wrestle with that? Because life is like bungee jumping. <laughs> okay. Well, I think in this situation, it, it Ex is. Explain the bungee jumping because I think everybody's Maybe nobody like, what? Bungee jumping is jumping off a cliff or a bridge with a uh, bungee rope attached to your feet. Um, but I think, you know, what Moses is doing here is saying to, you know, gravity, please don't accelerate me, you know, don't take me down. But then the bungee cord could say back, no, I got you. You know, I think sometimes the, the journey that God is calling us, you know, all we see is the you know, the place where we can get into a dead end. Mm -hmm. But uh, God's telling me, I got you. I can, I can stretch you back. And, uh, yeah. Perfect. If you don't know Kevin Wall, when you have a conversation with him, you get these sort of uh, metaphors quite often. So, well done, well done. Um, Jonathan. Uh, for me, I, I think the biggest thing is, like, personally, when I see someone that needs help or something like that, my first thought is, like, what? What are they going to think of me? Like, what if, uh, what if they reject me? What if they reject the gospel? Like, what, what are they going to think? And often we, we forget why we're doing what we're doing, why we're talking to someone, why we're reaching out to someone. And then, yeah, we, we don't focus on God, and we focus on first, like, the, ju the judgment that we're going to receive from them. And that's just a big thing. Like, we have to, uh, like, get past that and realize, like, this stuff that we're doing on earth is only, only here, but we're, we're doing it for a bigger, bigger reason and a bigger purpose. Okay. Let's jump to the second excuse. The second one, Moses says to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your father has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Uh, this seems like a fair question because the Israelites had, I mean, the Egyptians had a lot of names for their gods. And so Moses would have been very used to growing up uh, among the Egyptians that they would have named all their gods. So now God answers Moses and says, Okay, I'll tell you what my name is. And this is what he says in verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelite. I am has sent you to you. I, I am has sent me to you. The God, God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call, uh, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. I want you guys to just unpack that a little bit. What does the name I am mean, or how do you unpack that? Um, the name I am means like the everlasting God, the God of the future, the God of the past. Um, when God says that to Moses, he's reminding Moses that he's a faithful God. He is a constant God, and he isn't, he's a sovereign God. Yeah, I think uh, the way God says this is kind of interesting. He says, I am who I am. And I think if you would say, I am who blank, 
uh, usually we would say someone else. You know, I am who they say I am, or I am uh, what they call me. It's always who I am, what they are projecting on me. But here God is saying, I am who I am. And it, it creates this, you know, system that um, that's, it's, just, it's just him. Mm-hmm. And it's always him and always will be him. And it, right now it is him. Okay. Well done. So we're going to move. We've got six minutes to uh, finish up here. And so we're going to go a little bit quicker. In these next few verses, God is calling them, uh, Moses to be more than just a rescuer. He's actually, in a sense, calling Moses now to be a prophet. And so let's just read these verses really quick, and then we'll, we'll unpack them um, really briefly. Verse 16, God, go, assemble the Israelites, elders of Israel, and say to them, The Lord, the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This comes up a lot. Obviously, he is reminding Moses over and over and over who he is. Appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what they have done to you in Egypt. And I, am, I have promised to bring you out of your misery in, um, in Egypt into the land of the Itz. Okay, we're just going to leave it there. A land flowing with milk and honey. So after all these years, again, God's saying, I'm aware of who the Israelites are. I'm aware of their misery, and I am promising uh, to bring them out. Now, clearly God is also saying here, I'm, I'm concerned about more than just their physical you know, well-being. He keeps telling them, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I think God is also concerned that maybe the Israelites have forgotten about him or that they feel that he has abandoned them. Verse 18, the elders of the Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent, met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Israel will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonder that I that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. Verse 21. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people, the Israelites, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will give to your sons and daughters, and so you will plunder the Egyptians." Very interesting kind of God saying, I'm going to rescue you, but then he raises it a notch. And he's basically saying, I'm not only going to rescue you, I am going to also plunder the land. So when the Israelites leave, they are actually very, very wealthy. And so, you know, just jumping over a few things, jumping to verse 21, I think this is a very interesting thing because sometimes for us, when we look at, you know, what God has promised us to do, we may see only the hardship. And God is saying here, I'm going to do the work. I will will move a mighty hand of God to move the king of Egypt to let you go. But then he's also saying, but not only is there going to be those hardships, not only is there the struggle to be freed, but when you are freed, you will also be rewarded. And I think that should say something to you and I today, that, that God wants to do this amazing thing. So I want to give these guys just a moment. Um, young guys, I, don't, I won't ask you your age, but ambitious guys, if you know them at all, you know that the, you know, they're always thinking, they're always dreaming. I, I want to ask them to just share a little bit what they think that God's plan maybe is for Deer Run Church. Um, I talked to them yesterday and they're like, well, I, we kind of feel like we're these young guys and who are we to say anything? So I'm giving you permission. I'm giving you permission to dream. And if you dream really, really wild, we will look at you and smile 
and say, well, praise the Lord. But at the same time, I think it's important for us to be challenged by you guys to think for a moment, what do you feel God is maybe calling Deer Run Church to? And it could be, you know, you guys are two different, very different guys, so let's hear each of your version of what you feel. I think creativity. I think God's calling a church to be very creative. And let me unpack that a little bit. I think, you know, as, as a church of Jesus Christ, you know, um, we're called to do whatever it takes um, to extend God's kingdom. Um, I have this secret obsession, and that is um, marketing advertisement. <laughs> Um, I love to see commercials and then find the hidden messages in them and, and actually see you know, the beauty and creativity trying to connect with people and then make it very personal. Well, there's this one commercial, I don't know if you've, ever, if you've forgotten it or seen it, it was a Volvo truck commercial. Uh, it was called the Epic Splits. And um, uh, where Van Damme, where Van Damme he, he does the Epic Splits between two moving trucks and uh, they're going at high speed, and they're going backwards. And, uh, and the way it's narrated and the way the music is, you know, everybody looks at that and thinks it's so funny, that's so cool. And what, what happened, Volvo hired a team and to come up with something that would connect with everybody, but at the same time, somebody who is not a truck driver, they would say, oh, that was a really good commercial. But then somebody who was a truck driver, they would look at that and like, okay, he's doing a split shirt, but that truck, that is pretty sweet. You know, there, there was two messages when there. One, it was uh, entertaining and it was epic, and the other one was the main message uh, that was specifically for truck drivers. And I think uh, what that has to do for a church, um, to be creative in such a way where Leamington looks at us and says, wow, that's epic, that's, that's, that's creative. But then somebody who's searching for God, they, they, would, they would be drawn in and saying, okay, um, I want to I wanna know God, I want to see God, and in a way they, they, they want to get closer into God's kingdom. Cool. Because I know like along with that, there's technology, there's all those kind of, there's so many ways that we as a church can be creative. So awesome. Excellent. Jonathan. Um, my dream for the church would be to have us become more relational. Uh, I think we've done like great, great steps and made great steps and great progress to, um, to doing this with small groups and having the cafe and having like a warm, welcoming place to go to. But I, I think we could do an amazing job of having like mentorship. Like we have so many good people in this church that uh, like demonstrate like a, a good um, Christian lifestyle, and they could show it to many people with being being maybe an older sibling to somebody or being a family figure to somebody like that. And I think we could go out of our way, and we wouldn't even have to look far into the community to to see that we like we have this in our church too. So if we would make the step to being more relational and finding out people who who need that help, it would be a, just a really good thing. Excellent. So there's, there's a little brief glimpse. If you talk to them more, they have a much bigger, not bigger, but you know, they can unpack that much more. But I want us to just wrap up now, just reminding ourselves again. Here we are talking about Moses, and he was just this ordinary individual. And God calls him, and he makes all these excuses, and he's trying to get out of this. And I think, you know, the way they said it before, really at the beginning of it, he's just sort of saying, I don't want to do this. I really don't want to be the one that you call. And so I want to just challenge all of us as we, you know, live here in the town of Leamington or in the, in the area, in the community, um, as we are the church in this community, that we would never limit ourselves to, well, we're just, who, you know, who am I? You know, what, what am I supposed to do? All of us in this room have different gifts. All of us in this room have different abilities that God has given us. And I, my prayer for you is that you would use those um, in a way that God would, you know, have 
or let me back that up, that you would allow God to use us in a way to impact the community uh, in, a, in the most amazing way. So, all right, didn't they do amazing? Yeah, good job, guys. So now we are just going to wrap up on a word of prayer, and then uh, you are dismissed and uh, free to go. So let's bow for a word of prayer. Father God, I want to thank you so much for this morning, and I thank you for, for Kevin and for Jonathan and their willingness to to present this morning, and I just pray that as we leave here that we would be inspired this morning to think beyond ourselves and to focus on you and to see uh, the opportunities that you are maybe providing for us or making us aware of where we can be used by you. And I thank you so much that as with Moses, you are with us always. And I pray for those who are maybe in a, in a difficult situation right now where they are crying out and they feel that their rescue will never come. I pray, Lord, that they would hold fast to the promise that you are aware and that you are concerned and that you love them and that you will um, provide for them. And I just ask that you would uh, go with us now as we leave from here. In Jesus' name I pray.